Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Kuehl Podcast. I'm your host today, the insider of the insiders, Tyler Kuehl, and we have another lovely special episode here for you on this Thursday, April the 4th. It is CHL Playoffs Round 2 Preview. It sure was an exciting first round indeed, and we're going to recap all of the first round action and get you set for the second round, including all my lovely predictions, which may not have gone so well in round one. But nonetheless, be sure to get in the conversation with this week's episode or today's episode, that is, using the hashtag Podcast or tweeting at, at least particularly me, at Podcast, or you can tweet at myself at TJKU29 and tell me how bad my predictions were in the first round. We'll get to some of those here momentarily but obviously like I said a lot of great action from all three leagues Ontario League may not have been the OHL may not have been as close as some people thought but the Quebec League and WHL probably some of the best series we'll see in these playoffs however of course that was just round one let's get to round two we'll start out in the east side with the QMJHL and man uh, let me tell you there were some really interesting series and we're going to start far east in the Maritimes Halifax Mooseheads and Quebec Ramparts this was supposed to be a series that Halifax was supposed to waltz over. Quebec was probably the better of the eight seeds, obviously, with Schwinnigan. We'll get to them in a minute. But even though Patrick Waugh is behind the bench and the kind of the rah-rah guy that he is, and he may not be the most X and O's guys, but like the emotional guy that he is, yeah, he can get the team to play for you. But the Halifax Mooseheads were so good this year. And, you know, and we, we talked about it in the last preview episode we did a couple weeks ago. Halifax doesn't need to move on. They don't need to win the President's Cup in order to make it to the Memorial Cup because they're hosting at the Scotiabank Center in May. So obviously, you know, you have a low team like Quebec, you may overlook them. And in the first two games, they did. Absolutely, 100%. They lost the first two games, both at home in the Scotiabank Center. Quebec really stunned them. So then Quebec, or excuse me, Halifax has to come back and win the next two games, make it a 2-2. But then they go into game six, down 3-2, because Quebec's able to pull out game five at home. This was not a a road or a home-friendly series. The home team only won three of the seven games with Halifax having to come back and win games six and seven, both at home. And that's where it's interesting because the Quebec League, they'll do the 2-3-2 system. You see like in Major League Baseball or NBA, not in the NHL, where they do 2-2-1-1-1, which gave Halifax obviously the advantage going into the latter of the series, probably which did in Quebec, but Halifax able to turn it around. But you really saw some weaknesses. And like I said, maybe it's overlooking an eight-seed opponent, which we've seen before and we'll see it again. Where some teams, it'll cost them. And thankfully, the Mooseheads were able to turn it around. But like I said, the complacency in those first two games, especially on home ice, really showed. And you know what? Quebec, like I said, they came out with a really good effort. I mean, I'm excited to see what this team has in the future. With the with, Obviously, with Patrick Waugh still behind the bench and the team they have around them, there are good things to look for coming out of Quebec. Another really tight series as well was the Bay Comadraca and the Moncton Wildcats. Let me tell you guys when I say that the Moncton Wildcats, I did not pick them. Far from. I did not think Moncton had a chance because I wrote about them early in the year and how good they were. They were competing for a top three seed. This team was supposed to be one of the best. I mean, he had Jeremy McKenna, and the team was playing well defensively. But the second half, they just seemed to tail off. So they fell down to the seventh seed in Bay Como with the offense they had, a dominant offense that was really only behind teams like Ryan Aranda and Drummondville. I mean, this team was exceptionally well. They I mean, the, the only thing about them that probably held them back and which cost them in the series was their defense. I mean, Bay Como came out and they won game one in overtime, a little bit of a close one, but you expected Moncton to bring out the best in Bay Como. And then Moncton comes back and wins game two in Bay Como. I was like, okay, here we go. They split the next two games in Moncton and then Bay Como wins game five in Moncton, sending back home to Bay Como for the final two games with the, with the 3-2 series lead. But then Moncton just dug in there and won game six and seven and shocked the Drucker. And you know what? Moncton, like I said, they played a grind-out type of hockey. They don't need the super high scoring that some other teams do. They dragged Bay Como through the mud and held their offense to almost nothing for most, for most of the series, which will really help them out. And we'll actually preview that series now. Moncton versus Halifax, one versus seven out of the East. And you know what? You look at these two teams, and like I said, some of the biggest pieces coming in, of course, from Moncton, like I said, Jeremy McKenna, he had 11 points in that series, four multi-point games. Mika Sear was huge. He, and he only scored in four games of the series for Moncton. In those four games, Moncton won. 
So obviously showing that when Mika Sears in the lineup and he's producing, that is important for Moncton. You can't just have one guy lead. Yes, you can have one guy be a game changer, but when you have two or more, two or three or four guys producing, that's important as well. Especially a tough guy like Gabriel Sylvester getting five assists in the seven game series and a plus might didn't have didn't finish a single game with a minus against a high powered offense like Bay Como. That's impressive, especially with a plus six rating as well. Halifax, of course, Raphael Lavoie. I mean, he was in, he was huge. I mean, he had for Halifax. He really helped turn him around. He led the entire QMJHL in first round scoring with 13 points, seven goals, which is the most among QMJHLers. And only games one and seven saw Lavoie held pointless. And one of the biggest performances of that first round for Halifax was Maxime Trepanier. And who missed, he missed most, the he missed the last two months of the season with concussion-like symptoms. But he still averaged a point a game throughout the season despite that, showing that he can still produce. And then he really came out big. He missed game one, came back in games two through seven, and had six points in six games. I mean, you talk about coming back with Avengers. I mean, it's hard to always come back from a head injury at all, especially trying to get back to the speed of the game. But the way Trepanier had it throughout the entire season, coming over from... Gatineau and only playing eight games before he got injured but just coming back and playing like that he is going to be huge for Halifax here in round two but like I said Halifax you know what they have like they have a lot to give right now they have a lot to show and they want to prove they want to be ready come May but they with that knowledge of knowing not to win do you really think that they're going to give it their all we've seen it before we like we've seen teams win you know, the league championship, and then go on to the Memorial Cup and win. You know, the Knights did it in 05. Other teams have always done it. But the biggest part will, I mean, they're going to have to really realize that having momentum going in will be important. But we just saw so many weaknesses with complacency, and Moncton was just so tough. They were so tough throughout the entire series. And Francis Leclerc in net for Moncton was huge. I mean, he was exceptional in net. He made some big saves, some big moments against the Dracar. So I'm really thinking Moncton's going to pull this one out. Moncton's going to go in seven games. Moncton's, Halifax will obviously get them. We'll keep them close. They'll win some big games. But I think if it comes down to Scotiabank Center in game seven, I still think Moncton, just with the drive they had, they did it against Baycoma. I think they will do it again against Halifax in seven games. One of the other series in the first round was the Ramuski Oceanic and the Chikutami Suggenings. And... Let me just say, folks, that that series was not close. It was actually the only sweep we saw of the series as I picked Chikutami to come out and beat the, I thought, not-so-deep Muski Oceanic. And, and like I said, folks, I've been proven wrong, one, proven wrong once before, and I'll be proven wrong again. Muski came out and dominated the series, despite having Game 2 go to four overtimes. The first two games were actually very close, yes. Muski came out with a 4-3 win in overtime, single overtime. And then a four-overtime thriller where D'Artagnan Jolie's lone goal of the series ended that game. I mean, it was, in, it was intense. Four-game, I mean, a four-overtime game, no matter what level of hockey, whether it's minor hockey, junior hockey, the NHL, college, whatever you want, four overtimes is a very, because it's just a grind of endurance. And I think that loss just did the Saganines in, because the next two games were Pretty one-sided. I mean, exception of, I mean, Shakuni put up a good effort in game three. But by game four, Ramuski had it in the bag winning 6-3. And, and that was that helping Ramuski move on. I mean, Alexi Lafreniere was once again exceptional with averaging two points a game in the series, which in his total eight points led the team. Jimmy Huntington, seven points in the series with a three-point performance in games one and three. And Colton Ellis, I mean, let's not be credit where credit is due. Where you saw... Shakutami tried to hold their own. Ramuski did dominate. They did dominate the scoring chances, the shots, the high-quality scoring chances. But when Shakutami got an opportunity, Colton Ellis was there. He only gave up 11 goals on 148 shots in this series, including making 53 saves in that four-overtime win. So, I mean, you know, you're going to have a good... You need a good goaltender. Having, you know, maybe not the heaviest workload. I mean, compared to some of the other sweeps we'll see across the three leagues, he probably had the biggest workload. So... Having, you know, just kind of going in momentum. But obviously, like I said, Ramuski is going to have that break. So that'll be interesting to see how that goes for them. Another series, what I guess you can kind of look an upset based on seeding. However, Cape Breton 
coming out with the first round victory over Charlottetown. And you know what? I picked Charlottetown in the six game series. Kate Brenton proved me wrong once again. I mean, Charlottetown came out. They won double overtime in game one. And then they won game two, six, four. So Kate Breton's at, you know, kind of at their uh, kind of out of wits there going down 2-0 in their series. But then they kind of turn around. They get back home. They win games three and four. Okay, they're in good shape. They go back to Charlottetown for for game five. And, you know, Kate Breton wins on, on wins on the road. And wins on the road in the playoffs can never be underestimated. You know, you have the home bar and you have it on your side and you're going on there on, on the road. You always want to have a good performance. That's why the first two games, if you are the lower seed and you're the away team, you want to get one win because it eliminates home ice advantage going back to your own barn. But getting that win in game five against Charlottetown, 4-3 win, and then sending it back to game six, and then, of course, in dramatic fashion, winning in overtime in game six, 4-3, I mean, that's big. I mean, Igor Sokolov with a huge goal, his fourth goal of the series, mind you, to end the series. I mean, that's big. I mean, you obviously get some momentum then. So that'll bring Kate Brenton in, and they have a lot. Mitchell Baumas was huge once again for the team. He led the team in scoring the regular season. Five goals and six assists in the series, which was third in among first-round scores. And then Kevin Mandley's in net. Like I said, goaltending is huge as well. It always will be huge in the playoffs. There's no one, you can always say offense and defense. You know, you need the players in front of you. If your goaltender's not there, you ain't going to win a series. There's just no offense or buts about it. And for all you people that keep saying that Chris Osgood is an anti-Niemi, they're the worst Stanley Cup champion goaltenders, well, they had to make saves here and there. And Kevin Mandelis, he was phenomenal. He was clutch in that, made a lot of big saves. He allowed eight goals in the first two games of the series, but then he only allowed nine the rest of the series, including a Game 3 shutout, which really seemed to turn the series around for Cape Breton. But, so you have them going up against Ramuski, three versus five, so not the biggest gap, if you will. And... Ramuski has that offensive swagger. You know, they have Lafreniere, Huntington up front. They like to open up the offense. They like to use their speed and their skill. Whereas Kate Breton, as we saw, they don't like, they don't need that big game. They like to take it, take it to them, like play physical. They like to play tough and grind teams down to get the victory. But it'll be interesting to see how Ramuski does because they, like I said, they have the extended rest. They have not played since March 27th. So, you would think that Ramuski having that rest, you're not in that rhythm. Kate Brenton is. I think Kate Brenton comes out with the first maybe one or two wins in the series, gets one in Ramuski. However, I think Ramuski will come back around. Kate Brenton will give them everything they got. And that's why I think Ramuski will take this series. However, it will go the distance as the Oceanic will win in seven games. Now we head to the Western Conference. And, you know, the Ryan Aranda Huskies, the entire season looked flawless. And I'm serious. Yes, they lost a few games. Every team loses games during the regular season. There's no question about it. But they looked like a team that really had no pressure. They were just taking every game, taking care of business, and there was no one's going to stop them. But they go up against Schoenigan in round one. And don't forget, folks, Schoenigan had not won a game heading into the postseason since February the 9th. They lost 15 straight games heading into the playoffs. And so, you go into round one, Ryan Aranda, the Huskies, the, the team with the most points in the entire Canadian Hockey League. Okay? This team had it in the bag before game one started. And then they win game one, easily. 4-1, yeah, she went and got a goal, but no big deal. Samuel Harvey, whatnot, who cares? But then the weirdest thing happened. Shawinigan won game two. Their first win in almost, in over a month and a half. 4-3 on the road. So then Ryan Randa, they go back to Shawinigan and they kick him up and down the ice 5-0. And then the next night, they take him lightly again and Shawinigan wins another game 4-3, this time at home. So yeah, if you're Ryan Randa, you're a little embarrassed. You're the best team in the league. You're the best team in the, in the country. And here you are getting your butt whipped by a team that didn't even have 20 wins in the regular season. But then they go back to Schwinnigan for game six. And then Randall Randall went 7-3. And then 8-2 at home to get it done in six games. In a series that people were laughing and said shouldn't even gone three games. Let alone six. I mean, the Huskies, I'm not going to say got out of dodge. But man, you talk about taking your opponent lightly. I mean, they were able to get through it somehow. 
Peter Abandonado, with the help of it being six games, had an incredible first round. He had 13 points, which tied Lavoie for most in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League first round scoring. But with 11 of those being assist, his playmaking ability is still through the roof. And Noah Dobson really showed up, too, in the series. He scored 10 points from the blue line, looked really exceptional. You know, when he came over from Miranda in the trade following the World Junior Championship, he got, I don't want to say got lost in the shuffle, but he was on a really talented team, so he wasn't the big-name star as he was maybe last year or even this first part of the year with Bathurst. So getting put in, into a, put on a good team, put onto a good team, excuse me, sometimes you won't stand out as much. I mean, obviously, when you when he first got there, obviously the spotlight was on him, but he didn't. He wasn't uber impressive. Then again, he didn't need to be. He didn't have to be the superstar. He was playing on another great team like he was last year. So now he's with them, and then he really showed up here in this first round. So having some confidence going in through the through the rest of these playoffs will be important for Mr. Dobson. Another series was the Victoriaville Tigers against the Valdor Affairs, and boy. Another really tight series. I mean, Victoriaville they they had they were the they were the better team going into the series, and they won the first two games on home ice four two. Very simple, kept you know seemed like it's gonna be good. But then you go back to Valdor and the four years. Like I said, they were gonna be a team that Tigers couldn't the Tigers could not take lightly. They win game three in dramatic fashion in overtime. Big win, get back in the series, and then they win game four and five three. And then you're like, okay, here comes Valdor. And then they win game six or game five, excuse me, at home. So now they're a three-two lead going back to Victoriaville, but Victoriaville they took advantage of the home ice, winning games, winning game six, six-two, and then similar to another series in game seven, winning in overtime of Olivia Matthews' goal, his second of the series, just 35 seconds in to the extra frame, might I add sending Victoriaville to the second round. And a couple other big players, too. Uh, Simon LaFrance and Daniel, Dominic Cormier were really, really good. They had, each had nine points, which led the team. And LaFrance had two points in both games six and seven to help a tie the series and then obviously clinch the series. And Cormier had three multi-point games, just like LaFrance had. So those were two really clutch players for Victoriaville. So now you have, once again, a lopsided series, if you will. The Huskies won all four games, two in two at home and then two in Victoriaville. But both the games in Victoriaville were close. Only one goal game. So you got to think Randa still, of course, is the favorite. They're still the better team, the best team in the league. Nobody's doubting that one darn bit. So I don't expect the Huskies to overlook it one bit. And you know what? Tristan Cote Kesenev, the goaltender for Victoriaville, he was really good. He made some big stops and some big moments for Victoriaville against Valdor, but he's not Samuel Harvey. Despite losing twice against Shawinigan, he still had one of the best first rounds among goaltenders in the Quebec Junior League. He had a 1.9 on goals against average, a 9-1-2 save percentage. Har- Samuel Harvey is still Samuel Harvey. There's there's no reason to panic if you're Ryan Naranda. He's still going to be a big goaltender. And you know what? Victoriaville, they're coming off that big win. I don't think the Huskies, they know they need to win too. They're not, they're, they don't have an easy road to Halifax. It's not like win or whatever. The Huskies are going to really have to pick their play up, and they will, and that's why I think they're going to dominate Victoriaville, break their hearts, and they're going to win in five games. The two other series in the Quebec Junior League's first round were one interesting one and one not so interesting. You have Drummondville and Gatineau. And you know what? Drummondville is supposed to come in and smoke Gatineau, which for the most part, they did. They, 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 the best offense in the country, in the CHL, really flex their muscles. 4-0, 4-1 at home in games one and two. They go to Gatineau, they win 7-4 again, had a little bit of a hiccup defensively, but their offense was still there to bail them out. Game four, Gatineau did get a win. I didn't expect Gatineau to get a win in this series, but you know what? The Olympic, they showed their stuff on home ice, but they went back to Drummondville for game five and both the guys made it easy peasy winning 6-1. I didn't think, I mean, there was no chance really for Gatineau. No, no disrespect to the Olympic and the players. They worked really hard to get to that point in the playoffs, to get into into the playoffs. But when you run into one of the best offense in, in the league like that, it is going to be tough. And you know what? Joseph Foligno, he's there once again. 
hat trick in game one, three more points in game five, total of nine points in the series. Maxine Comtois was actually pretty solid as well. He scored four goals in the series. And you know what? Anthony Marone had the easiest workload compared to the rest of the goaltenders. He had the least amount of shots and least amount of saves. But he only allowed nine goals and a shutout in game one. So I really think if you're Drummondville, it's just going to be keep doing what you're doing for going into round two. But they're going to have a tough load, I think, against Sherbrooke. And Sherbrooke, they were stunned in game one against Armada. Blaine Bobbian came into Sherbrooke ice and whooped them 5-1. And then after that, it was all Sherbrooke. Sherbrooke realized that was the fire that they needed to get back into shape in this first round. They won 6-0, 6-3, 6-2, and 4-1 to get the job done. Four straight after losing the opening game. And you know what? The Phoenix don't have the biggest scores. I'll be on, I'll understand that. You know, you have Felix Robert, who scored eight points in the series, including a three-point game in game three. And, of course, you're going to have Samuel Poulin leading the charge, as always. He had nine points in the five-game series. And it may come to the goaltenders. You have Marone for Drummondville, who had to make some big saves, like I said, even though despite a fairly easy workload. Dakota Lund-Cornish in net for Sherbrooke. He only allowed 10 goals on 134 shots and a shutout in game two to get bounced back and get back into the swing of things. So, I mean, two goaltenders that didn't really have the biggest workloads in the first round once their teams got going, of course. So it's going to be interesting to see how that goes. But, like I said, Drummondville's got that dominating offense. And the Phoenix really, really did not do well against Drummondville during the regular season. Drummondville won all six games in the regular season by, by a combined score of 33-9, to a 24-goal differential in six games. And, and don't forget, too, Drummondville scored six goals in all three games on Sherbrooke Ice. They won 6-2 on October the 28th, 6-1 on November the 18th, and 6-1 on, on January the 19th. So obviously home ice has not helped Sherbrooke in one darn bit. And I want the Phoenix to come out well. They're going to have to really put up a solid effort. They're going to have to give – they're going to have to want it more than Drummondville. But Drummondville is on a roll offensively. Defensively, they're sound. It's going to be tough. I think Sherbrooke may get a win. They may come out and stun Drummondville maybe on home ice or on the road in game one or two. But I still think the Volta Gross in five is probably a reasonable prediction. So now we move over to the Ontario Hockey League. And let me tell you, folks, as exciting as some of the series were in the Quebec League, there were none here in the OHL. And that's not, and that's not knocking the teams that lost. I'm not going to... I'm, there's no disrespect to any of the teams that got knocked out here in the first round. It's just the the upper seeds, the separation between the four and five seeds in, in each of the conferences was so far compared to the other leagues. So you're going to have to understand when I say these that, yes, the the drop-off between the one and eights, two to sevens was as obviously huge, but the four and five seed matchups where you see, oh, they're four and five seed, they're close, right? Well, you know what? Like When we get to the... When we get to the Sudbury Mississauga series, you'll see what I'm talking about. We'll start out in the East. The Ottawa 67s and the Hamilton Bulldogs. The last year's J.R. J. Ross Robertson Cup champs, the Hamilton Bulldogs, they didn't have a whole lot going for them. They kept a close game in game three, only losing two one, but the 67s were just too much. They're, they were just too good, too fast. Eight Ottawa players average a point a game against Hamilton. And this includes Sasha Chemlevsky and Lucas Kyoto, who each led the team, who each led Ottawa with 67 points. Graham Clark was actually pretty good too for Ottawa. I mean, he only scored 23 goals in the regular season, but the Ottawa native scored five goals in the first two games, including a hat trick in game two. I mean, when you have not, I mean, not just top guys like Austin Keating and all those guys, but having depth scoring, like I, I can never say it enough. Depth scoring in the playoffs, depth scoring in the regular season. If you have four lines that are able to produce, or even top three lines able to produce, you see it in the NHL all the time. You always say, oh, how, you know, fourth line doesn't matter. Well, if your fourth line starts scoring, you become from a good team to a very dangerous team. So when you have guys like Jim Levsky, Kyoto, even Graham Clark chipping in for, like I said, five goals, that's good. It's going to be important for them going down the stretch here, heading into the second round. Another series was, like I said, Sudbury against Mississauga. And you know what? I will say this, Mississauga, they should be ecstatic that they averaged two goals a game in this series. 
that they're able to get eight goals. Because Yuka Pekalukkanen is... The fact that he wasn't even a notion for one of the best goaltenders in the CHL is shocking. I love Sudbury. I love the talent they have up front. But man, that team is not as good as they are without their goaltender. Lukanen was clutch. We saw, I mean, you saw him in the World Junior Championships for Finland. He was outstanding. I can never say enough. And if Sudbury makes it to the next round, if they make it through Ottawa, guess what? I'm going to talk about Lukanen again. But I mean, up front, they, have, they had to score goals. Rookie Quinton Byfield was great again. He had three goals and four assists in the first round. Nolan Hutchison, once again, another solid performance against Mississauga. He had an assist in each of the final three games of the series, and he also had a hat trick in game one. So you have a couple of scores for Sudbury, but then you have the 67's offense, which is so deep. But it will come down to the goaltenders. Mikey DiPietro versus Lukanen. And man, if that game in January between Finland and Canada does have any notation of what we can expect, boy, this is going to be a tight series. DiPietro was so good for Canada. And Lukanen was so much better for Finland. And it was such a close game too. And DiPietro was making huge saves. Lukanen's making big stops. And Finland was coming on strong, and I just, I could not, for a goaltender, goaltending fanatic that I am, former goaltender especially, that was probably my favorite game of the series. And yes, of course, Finland winning the gold medal, and that was a huge game as well, winning it with Kapikako, of course, scoring the game winner, that was a big moment. But that game between DiPietro and Lukanen, for myself, I loved it. I loved watching these two goaltenders go head-to-head. That was a matchup that, I, when, I saw, when I saw that Finland was going to have to play Canada in the quarterfinals, I was saying that I really thought, first of all, I thought back 2016 when Finland beat Canada. But then I looked back and I thought, man, this is going to be a matchup of the goaltenders, and Canada really could lose this one. It was back and forth, and of course, Noah Dobson stick breaks, stick goes off, puck goes off Cody Glass's stick, and into the net. I mean, everything went wrong for Mikey DiPietro. However, in this series, the 67 step up for their goaltender. And I think somehow, someway, DPHL will get it done. But it will go the distance. Ottawa 67s beat the Sudbury Wolves and end their Cinderella run in seven games. The other two series we're talking about coming out of the East, Niagara Ice Dogs taking on the North Bay Battalion is one of the other series out of the East. And you know what? Credit where credit is due, North Bay was able to get a win. And Justin Brzeau was, who, by the way, just got signed by the Toronto Marley, so he'll be part of their playoff run. Just saying, for all of you Leaf fans out there, Brzeau, big-time score, big boy, two, six foot six, two twenty-five, and the mythological Paul Bunyan-ness of him, or Joe Mufferoff, for all you Stompin' Tom fans, he's, he's joining the Marlies and the Leafs organization, so that's big for you guys. But, once again... Right, Niagara just had too much offense for North Bay to handle, just like I predicted. And I did think I did predict North Bay to get a win be- just be simply because of Brazil's ability to score, even though he only got held to one goal in the entire series. But Sudbury really just dominated. And despite winning in five games, I mean, they won by a combined score of 19 to 8. Jack Stanika was huge once again, scoring four goals and four assists in the five games. Tomasino was as impressive as always with six points against the battalion. But the star of the series, and this you can call it bias because I'm a goaltender, but Stephen Dillon in net. Buffalo native only gave up four goals in game two in his lone defeat, but that was it. He had three shutouts in the series, a 27 performance in the clinching game five. He was he was incredible. I mean, we showed it, we saw it in the regular season. I mean, when you're, Niagara was trying to chase down Ottawa for the top spot, it wasn't going to happen. So they kind of knew what to expect going in. Because like I said, Dylan, you know what? If Ottawa does win, you'll have Dylan. And if Niagara does get the series done, you know, knock on wood if you're a Niagara Ice Dogs fan, you're going to have Dylan versus Mikey DiPietro. Okay, the East is filled with great goaltending matchups right now. Let's be honest here, folks. The Oshawa Generals took on the Peterborough Peets. And I expected a little bit more out of Peterborough. But then again, Oshawa just came out flying. Games 1 and 2, they outscored Peterborough on home ice in Oshawa, 15-2. to 
I mean, there was really no chance. And on home ice in general in Oshawa, they outscored them by a total of 19 to 4. I mean, Oshawa just came out flying. They had a lot of great talent. I mean, besides Peterborough getting a close game three win, squeaking out one, it was all Oshawa in this series. Once again, they outscored handedly the Peterborough Peets. Anthony Salina Tree was huge once again with eight points, including the game-winning goal in game five. Brandon Saigon was another great, fantastic playmaker, like we saw all season from the Jennies. Six assists in five games. And Kyle Kaiser in net. I mean, you know, he can't be overlooked. I mean, when you have a league, when you have guys like Lukanen playing well, Dylan playing well, DiPietro, Kyle Kaiser, who one of the higher-end prospect goaltenders, you know, who could probably be an NHL here in the next couple of years, gets overlooked. He only gave up nine goals on 172 shots. It's not like Peterborough didn't get any shots on Niagara in the series. So it's going to be interesting once again. Kaiser and Dylan are going to go back-to-back, so goals are going to be hard to come by. They're going to go head-to-head. I don't expect a whole lot of scoring in the series, but it's going to come down to the power play, I really think. The rest will let them play, of course, but there will be some penalties, so the power play is going to be important. Oshawa did pretty well. They finished in the top half of the, of the league with a 23.8% success rate on the power play. And Niagara, of course, with their offensive juggernauts, you know, you have, you have Robertson up there. I mean, they had a 26.9%. And just on that alone, I mean, that's not going to win you a series. Power play is not necessarily going to win you a series. I mean, look at Owen Sound. They had one of the better power plays with a 26.3%, and they're out. We'll get to them in a minute. But it's, it's going to be close. I really think it's going to be close. But with that said, I think Niagara will just they'll, they'll, their offense, despite Oshawa's offense performance outbursts in round one, I think Niagara will have so much more. And I think the Ice Dogs will get the series done in six games. Moving over to the Western Conference now, we're going to talk about one of the we're going to talk about the top seed, the London Knights. Yes, like I said, they are good. They're the best team in the West. Are we all surprised? Can't really be. They played Windsor in the first round, and I thought Windsor was going to get a win, but London was just too good. Game one was a close one. Let's not be kidding ourselves. Windsor came out with a good effort in game one. Maybe caught London a little off guard, but London was able to pull out a 4-3 win. And then they won the next three games by a combined margin of 11 goals. By 11 goals. Wow. I mean, you talk about just getting the job done and just moving on. That's what the Knights did. They were they were not going to mess around with Windsor. I mean, the two teams have been longtime rivals in the history of the, the two franchises. They've gone to war with each other at times. And London knows that they'll if Windsor has a chance with I mean, despite really slugging it down towards the end of the regular season, they'll still come out and play one of their tough rivals. But I just think that game one win and then a dominating 5-0 win in game two really did Windsor in giving London the series victory. And once again, it was Evan Bouchard and Adam Bockfist that were the two guys that everyone was talking about. Offensive catalyst from the blue line. It's that type of age in hockey right now where you defense needs to be able to play defense, but be able to score goals. And they did that in spades. Bouchard had two goals and eight assists, which was second among all OHLers in the first round. Not just defensemen, in the all among all scoring in the OHL in the first round. And then Adam Bockfist scored six goals in four games. Six. Yes, four of which were on the power play, so obviously you get a lot of shots from the point there, but still, six goals, which was the most among any player in the first round. I mean, that's huge. And then you have Alex Formanton, who, you know, yes, there is offense up front for the London Knights, folks. We're not going to overlook that. Alex Formanton had 11 points in the first round, nine of them being says he was a huge playmaker, especially on the power play as well. So once again, the offense for London is there. There is no question about it. And having just the defense core they have, I can never say it enough of how good this Knights defense is. So they are going to be really important for the London stretch run here in the postseason. The Guelph Storm took on Kitchener. And this one, folks, out of all the predictions I made in these playoffs through all the three leagues in the first round, this is the one where I really have to bite my tongue and walk with my tail tail tucked between my legs. I expected Kitchener to win in seven games. I just thought Guelph was, for some reason, going to overlook Kitchener, like we've seen in other leagues too, like how Quebec almost did against Halifax. I thought Kitchener would have been able to do it and catch Guelph off guard and get the series done. Boy, was I wrong. Kitchener, love you. Know a lot of great people from Kitchener and Waterloo area. 
there was no chance. Mike McKenzie's team, Bob McKenzie's son, love him. They're awesome. I love Bob McKenzie. Love his son. But, man, the Rangers had no shot in this series. They got outplayed badly. The closest game was game one, when it was 4-2 against Guelph. And then game two in Guelph, 7-0, 6-3, 5-1. Storm through the Rangers, no pun intended, getting the easy sweep. And you know what? Sean Dersey, coming back, his health was in question heading into the playoffs, but he did pretty good. He had five assists in the series with a plus-five rating, not too shabby. And they had a really, real good depth scoring throughout the lineup. Eight players, similar to Ottawa, had a point in game, which, like I said, is always good. So having Guelph do that, not relying on the top guys. I mean, you have Nick Suzuki producing, and you have your guys that you brought over in the in the big trades. you got to bring, when you bring those guys in, you want them to produce. They did, but having more guys around them scoring, having that confidence around from all four lines, that's huge. But, of course, Nate Schnarr, who led the team in the regular season, scored 10 points, second among all forwards again. I mean, he was once again another key piece, and he's gonna lead. He's gonna have to be big for Guelph in the series against London. I think going up between these two teams, one versus four, it may be a very close series. It should be a very close series. They have two very offensive teams, one with probably a better decor than the other, with London probably having the advantage on Guelph, despite having the returning Sean Dersey and having him look up to form. I just think the depth of the defense for London outdoes Guelph's defense. So it'll be interesting to see. And you're going to have a very tight matchup between Anthony Popovich and Jordan Coy and Nett. I really like how good Popovich has been this year for Guelph. Jordan Coy, is, you know, he he faced the least amount of shots. Like I said, Windsor did not have a whole lot of opportunities against London. So Jordan Coy had the easiest amount of shots above Mikey DiPietro's workload. And Guelph actually really played really tough games against London this year. They won four of the six games, including two of which at the Budweiser Gardens in London. So you're going to have to think of that of, you know, is home ice advantage really going to help London in this series? But I think with London's confidence coming out of game one and Guelph is game two, this is going to be a very high-scoring series. I think Popovich can play big minutes and Coy can do the same as well, but I think the offense will be too overwhelming. The defense is... It's going to be a tight series, but I really think you're going to see a lot of five, four, six, five games in this series. Nonetheless, I think the Knights come out of this series in seven games. The Saginaw Spirit took on the Sarnia Sting, and once again, the Sting, who barely got the seven seed, barely outlasted Windsor and Erie to get into the playoffs. Saginaw just tore them apart. I mean, Sarnia put up a good effort in game five at home, but man... Did Saginaw take care of them the first three games? I mean, they won 6-3 and 5-1 at home, then 6-1 in game three. Yeah, 5-4 in overtime, but I mean, at that point, the series was all but done. Sarnia was probably trying to put one last good effort in, for the, I guess, for the fans, if you will. But Saginaw making it simple, making it look easy to get to round two. Once again, Owen Tippett was big. He came over from Mississauga, and he's been an immediate impact player. For the Spirit, he had five goals, which is second most in the first round. And Brady Gilmore had a really good series as well. He had six assists, including two in Game 4 as well. The final first-round series in the Ontario Hockey League we'll talk about is the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds and the Owen Sound Attack. And similar to how Blainville Boisbeyond did in their series, Owen Sound came out and stunned Sault Ste. Marie in Game 1. 4-3 in the Sioux in overtime, getting a huge win. Kind of caught the Greyhounds off guard, but once again, the Greyhounds bunkered down, and they got the job done, winning the next four very handily. And incredible credit to Owen Sound, who gave up so much. They, they dumped a lot, and, of course, they gained a lot of future, a lot of draft picks, a lot of young prospects coming to their system. So, like I said, the future's bright for Owen Sound, but the now is obviously finished for them as they got pretty much swept after that exciting Game 1 victory. Morgan Frost, who was big once again, had nine points in the series. But Barry Hayton led the team in ten with ten points for the Greyhounds, which, I mean, I'm not saying it's not expected. And of course, you always expect your top guys like Morgan Frost to be the leaders. But Barry Hayton had a good series. And having, like I said, having star players and the multiple star players that Sue have, 
that's going to be huge for them coming into this series. And King and Houchel did pretty well too, scoring five goals in the four-game series. So like I said, more depth scoring is going to help the Greyhounds. And in the series against the Spirit, this may be another high-scoring series. The, ser- the season series was really close to. In the eight games these two teams played each other, each team had four wins. However, the games have really not have really not been that close. The Greyhounds beating the Spirit back on March 14th was the only one-goal game between the two. So showing that the two teams are very streakily offensive, it's going to be interesting. I mean, Ivan Provatov and Matthew Villalta were... They weren't really that impressive in net for their teams, if you ask me. I didn't think either really were mind-blowing, had mind-blowing numbers, didn't look that great. I mean, they, they like I said, you play behind really good teams, you'll look exceptionally good. And I think, once again, it'll be a high-scoring series. It'll be tough, but I think Owen Tippett gets the guys with him, and Saginaw will take this series in six games. Now we move over to the Western Hockey League. While there was only one Game 7 in the entire first round, there's some pretty, pretty interesting series coming out of the WHL. First, we'll talk about the Prince Albert Raiders out in the Eastern Conference. And yes, folks, Prince Albert Raiders are still one of the best teams. They did an easy, they had an easy run with a Red Deer as they won all four games against Red Deer and made it look pretty simple. I mean, they... I don't say they coasted, but Red Deer was very tired just getting into the playoffs. They didn't have a whole lot of momentum heading in there, barely clinching. Norgregor led the team with five points. And you think five points is not a whole lot? Well, yeah, they only played four games, and it wasn't like Prince Albert was always going to score a lot of goals. Yeah, they had Brett Leeson in the charge up front for most of the season before he kind of tailed off towards the end. But Prince Albert has never really been the team to score in a strong an enormous amount of goals. So that's why I think that having just depth scoring like guys like Noah Gregory and Brett Leeson, but then you have to go down the list, it's going to be tough. I mean, it's a defensive team Prince Albert is, and it goes from Ian Scott outward. So that in itself should show how Prince Albert is going to have to get through to the finals and eventually the Memorial Cup. But in big performances from Alexi Protest and Ozzy Wiesblatt, Protest put two goals and two assists in the first two games of the series, and Weisblatt, who only scored 15 goals in the regular season, had three goals in the series. So having rookie scoring, too, is going to be important for the Prince Albert Raiders. I mean, you have youngsters that are in their first experience in junior playoffs. I mean, yes, some of these guys played, you know, tough games in the midget and Bantams and all that, but like I said, it's different when you make that big first jump and having these young kids being able to put up points, too, in the first round. Yes, playing against it, maybe a weaker team against Red Albert, is, but it's still big, and just having them get that experience in and be able to produce and get that taste of what it's like to succeed in the WHL or in junior hockey in general. And yes, you're playing with Prince Albert, so of course you're going to be succeeding this season. But it's going to be interesting to see how they do in round two. The other series coming out of the East Division in the Eastern Conference was the Saskatoon Blades sweeping the Moose Jaw Warriors. And you know what? For a four-game sweep, this was very close. Only one of the games was more than a one-goal game, Saskatoon beating Moose Jaw in Game 2. But Games 1 and 4 in overtime, and Game 3, a close one in Moose Jaw, a 3-2 win for Saskatoon, they kept it close. They did a really good job, Moose Jaw did, despite being, I think, heavily outmatched. Saskatoon was able to get the job done, though, and winning, like I said, winning two games in overtime, obviously showing that this team can get it done when it matters most. And Max Gerlach and Kirby Dock, once again, man, they were they were good. For, their, for the Blades, each scoring in the clinching win in Game 4. Each had five points in the series. I mean, they're going to be huge once again. They're going to be leading the charge offensively. Nolan Meyer was really good in that. And I'm not just saying that just to say, oh, yeah, a goaltender that doesn't give a lot of goals was good. I mean, he was exceptional. He only allowed eight goals in the entire series. And like I said, you get two overtime wins. You have to make some really big stops. And Meyer was able to do that throughout the entire series. So then you have these two matched up, Raiders and the Blades. Despite Saskatoon getting the win that knocked off Prince Albert's historic run, the Raiders really controlled the Blades during the season. They won six of the eight meetings, and I mean, a few of those games were close too, so I like the Blades being able to think they can hang in this one, especially since the Blades are one of the hottest teams in the league. Dating back to the regular season, they've won eight of their last nine games. And their, la- and their lone defeat in that stretch was against the Raiders, and that was the night after the Blades beat the Raiders in Saskatoon. So it could be a tight series. And like I said, the offense Saskatoon heads 
may actually kind of, I don't want to say go over top of the Raiders, but it's going to be an offensive Saskatoon Blades team against a defensive Prince Albert Raiders team. It's going to be tight. I like Meyer in net for Prince Albert, or it's going to be Saskatoon, but Ian Scott for Prince Albert, he's been great all season. He's going to continue it into this series. Raiders in six games. Moving over to the Central Division, these two matchups were, I don't want to say surprisingly close, because I picked a couple of close series. I said, and this one was actually when I was right, Edmonton over Medicine Hat in six games. And boy, Matt Sogard, I feel... I feel for the kid. He did everything he could against a really good Edmonton offense. And Edmonton took, and Medicine Hat took him to six games, all the way into overtime in game six on home ice before the Oil Kings broke their hearts. Boy, did I think, you know what? Edmonton earned this series. Medicine Hat comes out with game one win two, and then they win the first game in Medicine Hat. But I just, you know what? Edmonton is able to win on home ice and then get a big win on the road in game six, showing they, they can take care of business on the road here in the playoffs in a clutch way, too, in overtime. But hats off to Medicine Hat, no pun intended. They really gave Edmonton a run for their money. I This series, like I said, was one goal away from going seven games. I really, you know what, Medicine Hat, Sogard, I, I think I put, I did my mock, when I did my draft rankings, I put Sogard in the top 31. I think he could he could be a first round goaltender. I really think so. His size, his mobility. I could go on and on about the kid. But we got to talk about the team that won, the Oil Kings. I mean, they, they got the job done. Offensively, they had it. Trey Fixwilanski was big, tied for the team lane points with seven. And Vince Loschiavo, who only scored 62 points during the regular season, which was second to Fixwilanski, just showing how far the gap was for Edmonton scoring. But he scored four goals during the series and the game winner in game six in overtime to help the Oil Kings advance to the second round. The other series was the Lethbridge Hurricanes against the Calgary Hitmen. And boy, this was a classic seven-game series. This was that knockdown, drag-it-out type of playoff hockey that people love to watch. I mean, it went back and forth from this. I mean, Lethbridge, yes, they got the first two at home, but then Calgary came back with getting back-to-back at home themselves in the Saddle Dome, and then Lethbridge losing on the road, putting them in a spot and going back into Calgary, and then a 7-6 barn burner where Lethbridge gets the win in overtime just to force it back to Game 7, and then Calgary on the road in Lethbridge in Game 7, pulling out the win 4-2. This was everything you want in this series. Physicality, chippiness, it was tight. But before we get to the Hitmen, though, I have a few things to say about the Hurricanes. Okay? So for those that don't know, following Lethbridge's Game 2 victory, Jackson Shepard and Scott Mahovlich both fought at the end, both for instigated, instigated fights in the last five minutes, which is a suspension, one-game suspension, okay? Which was they considered a one-man fight the league did. And, of course, Lethbridge got all hissy about it, and they... The, the league fined Lethbridge five hundred dollars for the for the two fights separately, and then five hundred dollars for multiple fights in the last five minutes. So it's you you would think that Lethbridge would learn a lesson. So fast forward to Game Seven, Lethbridge one second left, they're on their way out the door. The season's over. Okay, nothing too crazy to go about it. It's all over. We get it. Calgary won. Calgary, congratulations, you done it. They go to the face-off, right outside the Calgary zone. And for some reason, unbeknownst to me, Logan Barlage decides to spear Carson Folkt in the groin. We're in the groin. I'm sure it was directed a little somewhere. Right off the draw. Just And didn't even try to take the face-off. I have, if you go up on our Twitter page, you can see the gif that Brandon Rivers posted following it. And my gosh, guys, that was pathetic. And, and looking on the other side, too, you're looking on the wing, there's Zach Stringer, rookie in this league, slashing the stick out of a guy's hand. I mean, and I get it. There's already there's a two-game suspension for Barlage, Barlage. And I get it. You know what? You have to spend the kid for doing something dumb. This, so this is going to be for next season on top of that. There should be repercussions for the franchise itself, whether it's another $500 fine, whatever. But there needs to be something for the organization itself. And Brent Kisio especially, he should be suspended for something like that as well. Oh, it's not his fault, you say. I don't care. You will lose with, I get it, losing's tough. 
And Lethbridge was supposed to win this series. I picked Lethbridge to win this series. I didn't think Calgary had enough, okay? But Calgary pulled it out. Nonetheless, you lose with class. You go and you shake you go and shake the hand of the opponent at the end of it, and that is that. That's all there is. You do not do something stupid like this. You lose a clash, you go out with class. I mean, it's pathetic. It's gutless. I don't know why the WHL didn't make a bigger example of this. They should have done something. And of course, let's shout out for Dylan Cousins for being a one-time follower of the Kill Podcast. Because I, of course, I've added him. I on Twitter when I said, when I was talking about this, because I said, hey, Dylan Cousins, here's what I'm going to show you how to make it in the show like March M when he, before he, you know, figuratively that's what he said. It's not actually what he said. It was me joking around. But then, of course, Cousins follows us and then probably saw what we had posted with him with his name tagged in it, and then he probably uh, uh, unfollowed us because of that because he probably realized that that was actually a bad thing that we tweeted about him, not a good thing. Of course, Dylan Cousins, of course, he's going to be a top 10 pick in the NHL draft, so... I mean, we'll see him soon. So for a brief time period, folks, the Kill Podcast was followed by a potential first-round draft pick. Nonetheless, I just, it's dumb. I never understand it. I don't get it. There should be more repercussions from it for doing something dumb like that. Maybe Barlage will change his ways. Who knows? Will he be on the team next year? He should be. But I don't, I think it's classless. It's dumb. So moving on to the team that actually won the series, the Hitmen. I mean, they had some offense offered. Obviously, Folk was one of the front runners for the Hitmen. But he wasn't the only guy, though. You had Mark Kostelik and Dakota Krebs were all part of a nine-man lineup for hit, the Hitmen that had five or more points. Pretty impressive. Once again, depth scoring huge. You had Kostelik, who scored five goals despite missing games three and four with a concussion. Five goals in five games. Goal game player. Hey, that's pretty good, right? And obviously showing that he didn't have too much wear and tear from the concussion, which obviously protocol. So it was obviously a mild concussion. It wasn't a huge one. So that's good for Calgary here going forward. And Folk was, like I said, the first star in Game 7. Two goals, including the game winner in Game 7. Calgary's offense was big, and they were clutch in this series. So we have a battle of Alberta. And yes, folks, for you saying, well, there's a lot of teams in Alberta. And yes, I know. So it's the battle of Calgary and Edmonton in Alberta. Obviously, I'm sure there's some fans up in Edmonton that would like a different Battle of Alberta, but that's a story for the Kill podcast when Alex is here, not when just me talking about junior hockey. But this is going to be a tough matchup between these two rivals. I mean, it's it'll be tough, and the Hitmen know it's going to be tough, too. They only won one game out of the eight meetings against this season, with the Oil Kings outscoring Calgary by a 19-goal margin in the series. But the Hitmen are riding high off an upset so the momentum that they're going to have to ride in the series, will ha- they're going to have to ride it, and they're going to have to ride it hard. They're going to have to play tough. They're going to have to slow down Fix Polanski and his line. They're going to have to get pucks in the net. They're going to have to score when they can. They're not going to be able to light Edmonton up. I really don't think so. It's going to be close. And the Oil Kings, like I said, showed some weaknesses against Medicine Hat. They're going to they're gonna be fine. They're going to get the job done. Hitman will really keep it close. Like I said, they'll give a dogged effort in this series. But I think the Oil Kings will move on to the conference final with a Game 7 victory. Now we go over to the Western Conference and into the British Columbia Division. The top team in the West, the Vancouver Giants, took on the Seattle Thunderbirds. And boy, did Seattle really give them a run for their money. I know that's a word I use a lot. I apologize. But it's true. Vancouver came out strong, a 7-1 victory on home ice. All right, it's going to be a quick sweep. We'll get her out of here. Then Seattle comes out and beats them. The Langley Event Center 4-1. That kind of really slowed everything down, let me tell you. But then Vancouver kind of got their feet back. They won Game 3, but then Seattle comes back and win Game 4. But then I think after that win in Seattle in Game 4, you really saw a much more focused Vancouver team eking out a win at home, but then going back to Seattle for Game 6 and handling the Thunderbirds, finishing off the series in six games. And like I said, it's never an easy victory, but they got the job done. Davis Cock was huge once again, 10 points in the six-game series, nine of them being assists. Bowen Byram, just his draft stock just continues to go up with his playoff performance. Three goals and five assists, including a three-point performance in Game 3. And Jaden Joseph, he was not too shabby for the Giants, scoring six goals in the series, which was tied for the most in the WHL. They did split. Michael Michael Dick did split the goaltenders, Trent Miner and David Tendek in net. Miner playing three, Tendek playing three. Miner playing better of the two. So that's why I'm going to think 
going here into round number two. I think you can't keep splitting goaltenders. I know there's talk, you know, nowadays, like, hey, if you have two good goaltenders, use them. I think the way Miner outplayed Tendek in his three games, I really think Miner gets the call and he's going to be the guy to run with. But don't expect Dick to use a quick, we have him on a tight leash. But yeah, I would like to see Miner probably go for the Giants in game one and probably the guy they'd want to run with, just the way he played in the first round, heading to round number two. The other series in the British Columbia Division was Victoria Royals and the Kamloop Blazers. And I, like I said, another one that I got wrong. I picked Kamloop riding high and coming after that that winning game, that the tie-breaking game, beating Kelowna to get into the playoffs. And you know what? Kamloop gave them, they gave Victoria a really tough go of it. They won in game two in overtime. They won game four to tie the series up at two. But then Victoria, I think just maybe the experience and whatnot, they just came in, they played hard, they played tougher in games five and six, and outdid the Blazers in six games. And it really was the, sh- the show of rookie Philip Schultz. He led the team with nine points in the six-game series, which was tied for second among playoff scores. And having that kind of ability in a rookie, too. Like, you know, we talk about Quentin Byfield for the Sudbury Wolves. Having a guy like Philip Schultz, a youngster looking just at ease in a playoff series. It will be tougher for him against the Giants, a more, much more experienced defensive team, especially with a guy like, like I said, Bowen Byram on the back end, and you have the guys up front that will really slow him down as well. It will be tight, and it will be close. And it could be a tight series. Despite one and two, despite them finishing very far apart in the standings, it could be close. Victoria managed three wins on their home ice, three of the five games on home ice they got wins, while Vancouver won four of the five meetings in the Langley Event Center in Vancouver. So especially a tight proximity game, this could be a really tight series, really tough series, close rivals. So I'm really liking Vancouver in this series. Goaltending is going to be close. Like I said, Miner is going to probably get the goal call. Griffin Outhouse was big at some points for the Royals in that series against Kamloops. He really stood up on his, stood on his head at times to help the Royals get the job done. And, of course, Vancouver, they're trying to avenge the Game 7 loss from last year against Victoria in the first round. So they're going to want to come out a lot stronger, obviously have a little payback for their British Columbia rival. So that's why I think Vancouver's offense will just take care of Victoria. Vancouver wins the series in six games. Moving over to the United States division, the Everett Silver Tips, the top team in the U.S. division, took on the Tri-City Americans. And despite Tri-City getting a win on home ice in game three in overtime, Everett was just... I think just too good once again. You got to look at the numbers here. Despite game two going being a one goal game, and then game three obviously going to Tri City in overtime. In the other three games, Everett outscored the Americans by a 16 goal margin. Of course, then again, winning nine one is kind of an outlier in game five. But Tri City, I just they they did not have enough going into the series. They really stumbled in getting into the playoffs. So Everett, I don't want to say had it an easy, but they were gonna. It was well expected that Silver Tips were going to make it into round number two. Bryce Kindop was great once again with nine points in the series, five of them being goals. A hat trick in game five. Uh, Martin Fasco Rudis, who only put up 31 points in the regular season, caught fire in the first round, he scores eight points in the five games. And of course, the biggest jip of all time, CHL goaltender of the year, WHL goaltender of the year, goes to Ian Scott. Or pardon me. WHL goaltender of the year goes to Ian Scott. Dustin Wolf, I think he he was my, I don't say he was my dark horse because you don't you're not just one of the best goaltenders in the league for nothing. 1.60 goals against average and a 937 save percentage in the series. The best goaltender, he was better than Ian Scott. He was better than Ian Scott during the regular season. I just, you know what? Maybe it's because he followed up Carter Hart. Maybe he not he's not getting the same kind of looks. But he's playing almost as good as Carter Hart did last year. Numbers aside, I really love Dustin Wolf's game. He has been so confident this entire year. And like I keep saying, you watch Carter Hart, you learn a few things. He watched Carter Hart most of last season and played well when he was backing up too. So now he gets the starting role and plays phenomenal. And he just, I don't think he gets the recognition he deserves. I can, I'll put that one in the bank. The other series in the U.S. division was the Spokane Chiefs and the Portland Winterhawks. And man, if Portland had, if they had Cody Glass, 
This series is a different series. I, I, it's just a tough to play lineup. Portland gave it everything they got, though. I mean, both games that were in Portland were overtime games. Spokane winning both of them, though. And in game five back in Spokane, Portland just didn't have enough in the tank. Spokane wins 4-1. They win all... They won two of the three games in home ice of the Chiefs. Portland winning game two. But I just think losing both games on the road really did in Portland. But like I said, very, very close series for a five-game series. If if there's any, you know, brownie points to Portland. Unfortunately, close only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades. And the hand grenade blew up right in front of the Winterhawks, allowing the Chiefs to move on to the second round. And Riley Woods was big for Spokane. Led the Chiefs in scoring in the, during the regular season. Led them in the first round with eight points. Adam Beckman and Jack Finley were also pretty good in their first playoff experiences. Rookies really stepping up. Beckman had three goals with a pair of assists, while Finley had four assists of his own in the five-game set. So, like I said, rookies stepping up is going to be huge down the stretch, and having those kind of those outlier players, having those guys that can really step up in the big moments, that's going to be big for Spokane. But I just think the Chiefs going up against the tips in this series, whew, I mean, if you look at the regular season numbers, that should almost be all you want. Everett won six of the eight games, including two of the four in Spokane. And Wolf has been so good. I mean, Bailey Birkin has been good at times for Spokane, like I said. I mean, you don't just finish second in the division without a good goaltender. But comparing him to Dustin Wolf, it's tough. I It's really hard to look at it, especially with the offense offensive talent that Everett has. I don't... Spokane is just going to be, they're going to be overwhelmed. I think they're going to be overwhelmed by the offense. They're not going to be able to beat Dustin Wolf. So that's why I'm going to pick Everett to win this series in five games. So that wraps up our CHL round two playoff preview. I mean, like I said, I've been wrong before. So all the, all you fans out there thinking, how can he pick against my team? Well, I've been wrong before, folks. Like I said, I picked Kitchener to beat Guelph. And let's just say that was a bad decision. But, man, there's going to be some really, I think there's going to be some more tight series, even tighter series, especially, like I said, in the OHL where all the four top four seeds advanced and in the WHL where all but Calgary top seeds advanced. But I think these are going to be some really fun series to watch. If there's one that I could really pick out of the blue off the top of my head right now, with the exception of the London-Guelph series, I would have, like I said, the 67s and the Wolves here. Ottawa versus Sudbury. And you know what? All the people out west are saying Eastern bias. I'm sorry. There is not a better goaltending matchup for me. Now, if you're going to want high scoring, you're going to probably have to head over maybe Niagara versus Oshawa. I mean, like, or maybe even London versus Guelph. Saginaw versus Sioux. I, I, I'm sorry. And everyone's like, oh, but what about the other leagues? Well, I mean, look at this. You're going to have Halifax versus Moncton. Moncton who's not doesn't have the highest scoring team in the league. Kate Breton against Rip Muski. Like I said, a high scoring team against a team that's going to have to grind it out. And then you have Drummondville versus Sherbrooke. And Sherbrooke, while they have offensive talent, it's not the same as Drummondville. I mean, that may just be a high scoring series on one side of the ball. Edmonton versus Calgary could have the capabilities if Miner and whoever starts for the Oil Kings. I mean, if Dylan Miskew didn't do the greatest and Todd Scott came in and played all right. So I don't know who's going to go in for them. But that may be a high-scoring series out west. But like I said, when you get in this stage of the playoffs, the defense ramps up, a lot more of the hook and grab, and the refs will let things go. It'll get a lot more nasty. So maybe you'll see a lot more low-scoring games in general. I mean, when you get to this point in the playoffs, high-scoring will be there, especially in the junior ranks. But there's gonna be a lot, there could be a lot of 3-2-2-1 two, two, games. So it'll be really interesting to see how it goes on. I'm excited. I hope you guys are excited. Hope this gave you enough insight to be prepared for the second round if you didn't watch round one. Of course, I'll be back for round three of all the conference finals and then the finals and then leading all up to the Memorial Cup in May in Halifax. It's going to be an exciting one. So make sure, folks, that you you tweet us at the Kiel Podcast, tell you what you think. Use the hashtag the Kiel Podcast to get involved and say, who do you think is going to make it to the second round in the Western Hockey League, in the Ontario Hockey League, and in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League? But before we let you guys go, kind of ending here on a little bit of a somber note, I just want to remind you all that Saturday is the one-year anniversary, the tragic bus crash that involved the Humboldt Broncos of the Saskatchewan Junior Hockey League, where 16 of the players passed away 
and 13 went to the hospital. Of course, as we all know, all of them have been released from the hospital. But I just want you to take a moment on Saturday to put them in your thoughts and prayers, the families, the community, and all those that were affected by the events last year. Always reminding you that sometimes it's more than just a game. That is all for now. Thank you, folks, for listening to another episode of the Keel Podcast. We'll see you next time. Go Broncos, go.